Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Abel Torres. I am Professor and Chair of Dermatology at the University of Florida in Gainesville in the Department of Dermatology. And I am joined here today by Dr. John Koo. Dr. John Koo is a professor in the Department of Dermatology at the University of California, San Francisco Medical Center. He is also co-director of the UCSF Psoriasis and Skin Treatment Center. And in addition to that, and that's a special treat that we have, is he is a board certified dermatologist and psychiatrist. So it's a special treat having you here today, Dr. Ku. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. We go way back, so it's really nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been a while. So today, especially with everything we've been going through with COVID and, and all these other things, there's a lot of stress going on with people nowadays. Right. And so it's only apropos that this would be the right topic for us to talk about as it relates to physicians and mental health. Right. And so um, let me start by asking you this. Is it true that physicians generally have more difficulty with mental health issues than the general public? Yes, and it's always been that way, because it's kind of sad. The, the latest survey of 13,000 physicians in U.S., this is called Medscape 2022 Physician Suicide Report. Basically, out of these 13,000 physicians of all specialties, Nearly one out of four, 24% to be exact, report clinical depression. This is just within the past year. I mean, that's kind of shocking. That's one out of four physicians. Out of that, 9% report that they have suicidal ideation. And that's like a little more than twice the rate in general population. Because the rate of suicidal ideation in general population is usually about 4%. And we're talking about 9% among physicians. And out of that, 1% actually reported they have attempted suicide. That's one out of 100 physicians just in the past year. Wow, that's very sobering information. So how do dermatologists themselves do in comparison to the other specialties with regards to these mental health issues? Well, the good news is that the dermatologists are a heck of a lot better off than a lot of other specialties. Once again, if anybody's interested in all the details, this Medscape 2022 Physician Suicide Report, I'm sure you can access it very easily. But the highest rate of suicidal ideation turned out to be pathology, surgery, and oncology. Pathology, 13% in the past year reported suicidal ideation. Surgery, 12% of the practitioners. Oncology, 12% also reported uh, suicidal ideation. Compared to that, uh, dermatology is 6%. That's heck of a lot better. The lowest, seriously, was neurology at 2%. But even 6%, I'm personally kind of shocked. Because I always thought of dermatology as, you know, one of the nicer lifestyle, and it is one of the nicer lifestyle part of medicine. But even then, 
suicidal ideation is 6%. You know, that's kind of concerning. So what do you think is part contributing for the dermatologist? Is there any data out there that says anything about what's contributing? Because like you, you know, to yes. me, I'm, I'm surprised in the sense that you would think that for dermatologists, where we've seen some other Medscape reports and other things that talk about happiness and other things, dermatologists tend to be, uh, you know, rating themselves as happier and more satisfied with their jobs. I think a few things that are consistently mentioned among dermatologists. One is uh, just a plain burnout. And even dermatology, which is not at all a bad specialty to be in, uh, if you had to see patients like every 10 minutes or every 10 to 15 minutes all day, every day, and that goes on for decades, even some people who are really fundamentally people who like to be people, people, you know, people who know how to connect, even those people might get tired of it. And if the patients turn out to be, not all of them, but some of them, you know, can always be rude, maybe inappropriate, you know, maybe make the dermatologist feel uncomfortable in the room, then I think the burnout rate actually becomes even higher. You know, so one is, you know, just day in and day out grind of dermatology practice. You know, the other thing that uh, is often mentioned nowadays and has been for a while is that insurance pushback. You know, that all the hassles of pre-authorization, having to go back and forth and back and forth until finally some decent medication get approved. And uh, on top of that, um, and as I mentioned, some patients can be difficult to deal with, but even nicer patients can sometimes get confused. And when they are in this middle of frustration, trying to get the medicine authorized, that a lot of my colleagues told me that sometimes they go, confused and they lash out at dermatologists, even though it's not the fault of the dermatologist. You know, so I think those things you know, are like day-to-day, -day more common problems that happen in dermatologist's life. Well, well that, that's, again, another very sobering comment, you know, because you would think that uh, those things can be exhausting and stressful, but to lead to the point where somebody would have suicidal ideation, is something that's serious. So what can a dermatologist do to help himself or herself with respect to these mental health issues? What do you think they can do? Well, I think one thing that is very important, in my opinion, as a psychiatrist, is to always protect your boundary. And the thing about boundary, there are several different boundaries. One is boundary regarding your workload. There can always be pressure to see more patients with less time. And this is particularly acute nowadays because, as you know, uh, entities like private equity is buying up dermatology practices, especially practices of older dermatologists who are retiring. And I'm sure there are some private equity that are decent, but there are others that are primarily interested in maximizing profit. And the way they seem to do it is just try to make the dermatologists who are employed and now their employees 
see as many patients as quickly as possible, pressure them to do as many procedures as possible. You know, so one way to watch your uh, well-being and protect your boundary is to be not a pushover. You know, keep a vigilant eye on exactly how your patient schedules are being handled. And if somebody just keep adding double booking on top of double booking, <laughs> make sure that you put your foot down and say something and then not just get burned out with that. I think you know, that's one boundary that uh, nowadays is highly relevant to prevent tendency to a burnout. Now, another boundary I can think of is boundary that you need to protect uh, against the patients. Because once again, probably 90 plus percent of the patients might be real nice, but it's always the small proportion that cause big problem. And if the patients are rude, they're inappropriate, you know, they are doing things, once again, that I mentioned that make the dermatologist feel uncomfortable, then I think it's important to speak up. And now oftentimes, you know, patients might be uh, doing those things more to the staff than to the dermatologist, but some of them <laughs> will be doing that to the dermatologist. Then I, I think it's good to be not shy about telling them that, oh, you know, that's inappropriate. And if the patients don't like it, to be told, you know, not be shy about telling them that, well, you know, maybe you and I might not be a good fit. There are plenty of other dermatologists who'll be happy to see you. And then there are plenty of other patients who'll be happy to see me. And if you remind the patient that way, I think a lot of the patients would kind of get the message and not be such a pain in the back, pain in the whatever. So I think those are the two boundaries that are very important. So when you're talking about boundaries too, you know, normally when we have conversations, right, one of the things that they talk about in professionalism is establishing your personal boundaries as well as it relates to patients and in terms of crossing the line between the social and the professional. At the same time, you know, I would think that Part of what makes being a doctor fun is being able to establish that rapport with your patients, right? So That's how right. do you keep that boundary where you could still have your patients at that personal level, but at least keep that professional line? Any advice there that you, you could give? Uh, yes, it is more fun when you get to know people as people and, and not just focusing on their pathology. And... In my experience, I, I find that uh, most of the time uh, patients are reasonably aware of what uh, appropriate ba uh, boundaries that way. So, so I don't have too much problem myself, except when I happen to have a patient who has borderline personality. And especially dermatologists who are uh, into cosmetic procedure, it's well known that significant proportion of cosmetic patients have personality disorders, and one of which is borderline. Another one is narcissistic. Now, we all know what narcissism is, but the borderline, it's very peculiar that uh, borderline patients are usually very attractive women, young and attractive. If the dermatologist doesn't know how to protect that kind of appropriate boundary, 
the borderline patients, it's almost like magic. Typically, the guys fall for it. You know, the male dermatologists, the borderline patients, can make them feel really good. You know, say good thing about like you're like such a great doctor and so forth. And they, as I said, is attractive. Maybe after a while, suggesting that crossing some of the professional boundaries, and especially if that the, this male dermatologist. You know, have some kind of unhappiness or family or marital issues, they can totally fall for it. And that would be a disaster because these uh, highly pleasant and attractive borderline patients, you know, one day can suddenly demonize you if you don't do what you know, she likes. Uh, so that's something that's really important to watch out for. And that's where the crossing the professional boundary can become disastrous if you don't know what's going on. Any red flags that you can highlight for young physicians and male physicians, especially, or even female, I guess, with some male you know, borderline patients that could occur as well, that could help them to spot you know, a situation where this could happen? Well, uh, somebody like me who's training psychiatry, just the way they look at you is <laughs> a red flag. But, but if you don't have the awareness, then the way they look at you adoringly. With uh, instant extra positive feedback. Okay. If you're, the awareness is the best, and be on guard. I think that's the best policy because otherwise, you'd be amazed how quickly patients can get sucked into this kind of patients. So it sounds like two things to look for is one is how they look at you, and two is in terms of you're more likely to see this in the setting of a cosmetic dermatology setting. Yes. Okay. There are a lot of people who see cosmetic procedure for very good reason, you know, but uh, borderline patients, they are known to be quite feeling empty inside chronically. So the outer appearance is like a substitute for their inner emptiness, which is different than narcissistic patients who think that, oh, I'm such a great person. I'm smarter than anybody in the room. You know, I'm better looking than anybody in the room. So if they start aging, they panic. <laughs> they say, fix this for me. I mean, that's a different ball game. That, that has uh, some other kind of traps, but not about crossing the professional boundary that you were talking about. Okay, excellent. So any other boundaries that you would think that we need to be concerned about? I mean, you've talked about one boundary, which have to do with the workload and making yes. sure that physicians are kind of alert to their workload and, and what's going on there and their boundaries there. And then you also talked about the difficult patients and handling those difficult patients. Going back to that for a second, you mentioned some things where you would give them, you know, you would say, hey, there's other patients that could see me and there's other doctors you could see. Is there any other way you could present that? And I think a lot of physicians hesitate, right? Because they're worried that it's going to create a confrontation or it's going to make the patient angrier. How would you tell the average physician in terms of where they're suspecting that there's an issue here, they want to be able to deal something about it, but not create a confrontation? Yeah. Obviously, confrontation is the method of last resort. Ideally, one can kind of suggest that, oh, you know, these comments are inappropriate. And, And then if you can say it in a way that they don't just take it as criticism, like, you know, I really like you as my patient, even if that's not real, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, the sexual comment that you make, 
you know, kind of make me feel uncomfortable. I know you meant to be a compliment, but you know, in nowadays it's it's not seen as something positive. So you know, please tell me if you want to compliment me some other way or something like that. If it were like sexual harassment type of comment, or you know, so there are uh, ways to say that it, to give the message more gently, softly, and kind of prepare the patient with some positive even if it's not entirely true, comment, so they don't take it as you know, completely negative statement. So there are ways to do that. But there are some patients, you know, where after all that diplomacy, you know, still paying the butt. <laughs> then, then the choice becomes, you know, am I going to allow this to go on and me becoming drained? Or am I going to be, even if I have to be confrontational, try to stop this? And I think if you get to the point where the patient's really not getting the message in the gentle way, I think confrontation is better than getting drained. Now, uh, one question that, that Abel, you asked me about boundary. There's one more boundary that I thought I might touch on. And this is very abstract. Understand boundary of how much dermatology involves your life you know because if you have no boundaries to that then family will suffer because you might become you know one might become a workaholic and also one of the difficulty that i have noticed are people you know, who seems to be like 80 90 percent of their life even if they're not working they're thinking about work they're thinking about dermatology and that's really not in my opinion, very healthy. You know, so dermatology itself needs a boundary. Ideally, somebody who's really productive and who's really passionate about dermatology would have some other thing that they can be engaged in as a hobby or, you know, that has nothing to do with dermatology. One of my former fellows, my trainee from long times ago, is a more surgeon like you, Abel. You know, very productive, very passionate. But when he's not working, he's fixing old grandfather clocks. And somehow he found it fascinating by accident that he liked to, you know, of course he's a surgeon, so he liked to use his hand, but he liked to do something completely unrelated to dermatology. And by chance, you know, he found that fixing clock, he works in a clock fixing place on weekend, really relaxing, and yet uh, still enjoy the fruit of his labor. By the way, he also does amateur car racing, <laughs> but something to get your mind completely off dermatology. I think that's one good way that you don't get burned out. No, I, I think that's an excellent uh, idea. I mean, it's, for example, you know, as you know, I'm an attorney as well. That's and, right. And to yeah. me, being an attorney is, you know, I, I look at it, yes, sometimes I look at it from the medical legal perspective, but a lot of times I look at it completely different. And and it takes me away from the world of medicine so that I can look at a different world, which yeah. helps to kind of separate it. Yeah, Abel, I mean, you're amazing because you have so many different degrees. And, you know, talking about my experience in my last almost 40 years, as you know, in university, you do see patients, 
but you also do lectures. You might be advising some industry, and then you might be working with students, fellows. You know, so that's a varied activity. And I think that in some way of varying activity, even if that's between, as you know, in your case, like looking at it like a lawyer versus you know, physician, or somebody else might be you know, part-time dermatopathologist, part-time clinician. You know, I think a varied practice really helps mitigate the possibility of burnout. I would think that part of it is you, when you enjoy something, it feels better, but it's just having fun sometimes. You know, I, I look at you and I always notice that you always <laughs> have a joke or you have something that makes you laugh. That's uh, right. How do you get people to be able to have that fun, to enjoy themselves and get that laughing and get in that happy mood? Anything in particular you recommend? You know, in my case, and I don't want to just sound like end of one, but I have many interests like you do. You know, so when I'm not doing dermatology, my hobby is military, especially World War II history. And of course, at my age, I have four grandkids and <laughs> five kids. You know, so family also is very much keep dermatology within healthy boundary. Excellent. And also, the, lastly, the thing that helped me, you know, having had some psychiatry training is that talking about mental health issues, even if it has to do with me. I don't feel like it's embarrassing. I lost the steam a long time ago. And going back to the Medscape 2022 physician suicide report, one thing they noted is that younger physicians cope better in terms of willing to and able to talk to not just their family, but even friends and colleagues, even their supervisor. You know, whereas that, you know, older dermatologists, uh, baby boomers, you know, maybe people in our age, are still a large proportion of them highly reluctant to talk to anybody other than a therapist. You know, so I think there's a positive trend, you know, that younger people don't see mental health as such a stigma anymore. And able to articulate their problem, able to seek help, doesn't have to be like, you know, therapist that cost arm and a leg. It could just be your friend, your family, your colleague, your supervisor. I, I think that's a very healthy trend. And I think that's also something that can be very helpful if anybody's experiencing problems. Yeah, I think that's a very important point because I think our generation, the issue was that if you talked about stress and you complain, some people perceive that as whining. And That's so right. people, people don't want to say it because they don't want to be per, you know, labeled as a whiner or perceiving. But yeah. so any advice of what people can say so that people don't perceive them as whiners? I think it's probably more important to, to be selective about among the friends, colleagues, families, relatives, and even therapists. You know, I think it's good to be selective yeah. because, you know, people's mentality can vary widely. We all know that. And also they vary by generations, like millennials, you know, more open and less stigmatizing of mental health than Generation X, who are even more open than boomers. <laughs> you know, so it's good to be selective and figure out, you know, who you can talk about your problem, 
who's not going to be seen as some kind of a negative revelation, some kind of weakness. You know, and, and a long time ago, mental health was even uh, seen as some kind of a moral failure. But, but thank God we're not at, you know, in that stage. But still, you know, we still have the idea of for men, macho men, you know, <laughs> and we, we, there's nothing wrong with us. I'd rather die than admit that there's something wrong in my life or my thinking or my mental health. Luckily, that old you know, mode is gradually disappearing. But still, there are people who hold on to that. You know, and, and I think people can, you know, if they need help, if they need to talk to someone, if they stop for one moment and say, okay, let me be selective. I'm not going to just pull it out to anybody. You know, who's going to be most open and who's going to be most supportive? In fact, who even knows what supportive means emotionally? Because there's a macho man that I know who totally cannot understand what emotional support means. You know, so if one is selective before seeking help, I think that would be probably the most constructive way to do it. Yeah, and, and I think going along with that is it, it's sometimes you, we assume that other people know and understand what's going on. And unless you speak to people and you let them know how you're feeling, they don't know. So, so right. people have to be willing to be able to say their feelings and express that. And, you know, if, if you're concerned, I think sometimes about feeling like you're whining. The other thing, too, is that every once in a while, give ideas or give uh, constructive ways of maybe trying to solve the problem. So it's not always just complaining about something. It's always saying, hey, wait, what if we did this? Could this be a better way to do things? And That's that, right. That helps as well. Yeah. I mean, women are usually better at able to express their problems openly and sincerely as opposed to men. You know, so it's ironic that, that women admit things like depression, emotional problem, a lot easier, whereas most people who actually kill themselves are men who never complained <laughs> until they kill themselves. You know, so I think it's important to try to encourage, especially men, to be able to articulate their problem and then not bottle it up because bottling it up can eventually just spill over. And that's the nature of psychological, emotional problem within anybody. Well, Dr. Ku, this has been very educational and enlightening. I thank you very much for uh, you know, your comments today. And then I'm sure our audience will find it very helpful. So any last words you want to say before we say goodbye to our audience? Well, to be very selfish, I'm just going to say, really nice for me to be able to see Dr. Abel Torres. <laughs> because <laughs> I have known Abel since he was a fellow when I was a resident. And we just have to reconnect when this pandemic is over. That's terrific. I feel the same way. So it's a pleasure seeing you again, John, and, and thank you for some very insightful tips. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. So, we hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. 
new podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.